Hello and welcome to Unidentified Wargammer. Each week I interview a Wargammer and identify them in the hobby. This week I've got on Jeremy Fisher, uh, Commissioner of Worlds and not Captain of Team America, but Player of Team America. Yep. How are you going? Good. I'm going great. How's your night been treating you? Oh, fantastic. I'm having some nice white and then uh, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to light up the barbecue. So I'm looking forward to it. Sounds delicious. How's your hobby and that been going for Worlds? You pretty prepared and ready to go? Oh, yeah. I'm... Uh, I'm playing Fire Slayers and I've, uh, I took him to Worlds like two years ago in Milan. And then I, you know, I played them solely basically all of 2019 for the uh, ITC or the North American like independent tournament circuit. So I don't, I, it's fantastic. My job is easy. I don't have to do any painting this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are any of your team members also on the painting crunch then? Yeah, we got a few uh, who are like actively trying to wrap up. Uh, uh, Roger Barker was was corn is trying to wrap up his paint job, and then uh, Zach Kennedy with his KO. Uh, he's going for full Texas memes, so it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> uh, and then I think Bill has some stuff left over, but I think that's about it. So we're pretty we're pretty easy this year. Not last year we were like we had to paint like full new armies. For so. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> And then it always generally falls on the one dude who's playing it because he needs to like have the model. So it's on him to get it all ready and he's in the rush. We're trying to play games and get practice in yeah. as well as paint the models up. Yeah. Yeah. We, we try to as best to uh, try to share the burden when it comes to painting. But some players really want to like when they bring a world's army, they want to make it like four worlds. So like there's for, for America, they try to throw in like American flags. American iconography and the models, like they're like, like this is purely for worlds. Like, so yeah. I remember seeing Emma's models with all the flags and stuff like that on him. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, you didn't see the they diamond hands model. That was, uh, that conversion was, uh, was rejected for the year we had a, uh, she had her general, oh, no. the, the diamond hands guy from, uh, yep. Wall Street. <laughs> <Bats>. <laughs> That's so good to hear how you guys like sort of go with like the heavy America thing. Cause I don't think, of looking at the other armies from the last few years, I didn't really see anything of their sort of countryness. I think it was mainly just America. Did you guys see anything? Uh, yeah, I can't. I'm sure there must have been. I can't pinpoint. Like, it was not a team collective like movement. Right? It was like one or two players at best in the team. Uh, usually, Team America tries to make it like most of the team is like going with like an American thing to their army. It's super, you know, you got to, you got to rep the ugly American song from David Bowie. So yeah. <laughs> I remember knowing Noah wearing that uh, lovely American outfit of his as well with all the flags oh, yeah. all over him. Always. I mean, they always, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of star sprangled banners in the world. So. <laughs> Have you got a theme song going with you guys? Is it the Jerry, um, what was it? What did you say before? I can't remember his name now. Oh, David Bowie is ugly American. David Bowie. No, that's yep. not our theme song, but that would be appropriate. Uh, no, <laughs> probably, I mean, if I would pick one, I think it's probably like Kenny Lodgins, like Danger Zone or uh, uh, Born in the United States, like, you know, mm -hmm. Born in the USA, whatever you want to call it. I mean, like, there's so many good, like, it's not like we lack theme songs. Not nah, if we're going to be no. super <laughs> obnoxious, we'll just make you guys listen to our national anthem. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, that's very true. With being just a large country, you've got so many good artists that do a lot of American-centric songs, whereas I yeah. think most countries probably don't have anything too similar besides maybe one or two songs. Uh, for my French ancestry, I can tell you there's plenty of French songs that are very French. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. 
So you were saying earlier that you had your fire slayers all painted up and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Are you much of a hobbyist generally? Oh God, no! I hate painting. Uh, I, <laughs> but I do paint, and I, I, you know, I've been. I told when I do try, I do paint a you know pretty good quality. I just, okay. it's just not for me. Like it's just something that I, it's a it's a means to an end. Like it gets me to the tournament. That's it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> What, what about conversion work? Do you do much conversion then? Yeah, I do. That's a part of the hobby I do enjoy is the assembly and conversion. I do a lot of, uh, okay. well, especially for 40K, not so much in AOS, to be honest. Uh, 40K, I used to do a lot more conversion. AOS has been, been pretty mild. There's usually God models I'll convert like, a little bit. Individual infantry men, probably not. No. Okay. Have you got a favorite conversion of yours then? Uh, it's not AOS theme. Uh, I have... <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I have a, I played, you know, so like for, I'm known for fire slayers, but in the 40k world, I'm, well, I was known for white scars. Like that was my, I played them for like decades. Uh, and I have, you know, they, there's a faction in, inside of 40k that has like mostly bikers, like white scars, which are like Mongolian men riding bi- bicycles, basically, uh, called Ravenwing, which is a dark angel sub faction, like a sub faction, not really a thing. And it, whatever. The point is, there's a, at one point there's there's in the dark, I had to play Ravenwing because there was no rules for white like a model bike army for Space Marines, and they have these really nice like big land speeder model, and it's supposed to be like an icon or relic like it's carrying a relic uh, on the battle. So I converted it to have uh, there's a famous uh, statue in a fountain in France where it's basically a chariot of Poseidon coming out of the water with a bunch of golden horses uh, coming out of the water. So I, oh, I cool. replaced the top of that relic, that exact, that basically look and feel statue. Uh, so it just looks like there's like a chariot coming out of the land, uh, the land speeder, basically. It's oh, that's very cool. It's my, very that's cool. my favorite conversion. I I do have an uh, uh, I did convert up a whole Wraith Knight too, which was it's one of my favorites as well. But anyway, the point is that I don't have a lot of AOS conversions. <laughs> I really like. I thought I did. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I'll get some photos from me later on so we can post them up because they sound like very cool like conversion ideas outside of the normal sort of 40K weapon and hand swaps and stuff like that that yeah. people normally do. Yeah. I have a lot of guys jumping out of motorcycles. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Well, it sounds it sounds like you've got a, a strong 40K background. What about it made you convert to AOS then? Oh, <laughs> Well, you know, people know me as like a competitive guy. I didn't convert it AOS because of the lore or because of the fluff. Like, I mean, I've always liked Warmer Fantasy Battle, but every experience I've had with Warmer Fantasy Battle as a competitive 40k player is that I hated the Warmer Fantasy Battle rule set. Then they, I thought they had like a very lot of dumb mechanics. And then when AOS came around, it was like the peak of, or I guess the peak decline, I guess in the sense of like 40k rule set. It made the game so incredibly like rock paper scissors that i was looking for i was basically burnt out on 40k in the competitive scene and i was looking for something new and thankfully aos 1.0 was just right there uh and i really i really like you know the simplified rule set it had a very easy to get into but very hard to master play style and i, I really got into that and that's how i jumped into aos because i was looking for not necessarily a competitive scene, but I, I I just got burnt out of 40k, and I just needed an out, you know, an outlet, and I found AOS in the in the process. Have you dipped your toes back into 40k at all since playing AOS? Then, uh, not at all, to be honest. Like every every iteration of AOS to me just gets closer and closer to like the ideal game for me. Like honestly, I have never 
been burnt out on AOS. I might have been burnt out on like maybe specific, you know, playing a specific faction. I tend to like swap a lot, but the game system and the way it works, I have never been, you know, come close to what I felt in 40k. I try to play a little bit of ninth age, a ninth edition, not ninth age, ooh, different game. Uh, <laughs> ninth edition, <40K>. not yet. <laughs> and uh, I can't say that I, I personally enjoyed it. I, it's I'm not gonna criticize, you know, 40k as like as I just, it wasn't, it didn't feel as enjoyable as it, uh, as AOS does for me basically. So I, I never got back into it. Maybe tenth edition. I don't know. We'll see. I've heard some of the rules are a bit more similar to AOS in the way that they do. I think their battle plans and their scoring were leading more towards AOSifying 10th edition. Well, it would make sense. I heard like a lot of the AOS rules writers will help write 10th edition or at least technically check that. I either the big the big difference between 40k and AOS for me is that uh, they both have a sin. Like each game system has a sin. You know, for 40k players, it's the double turn at AOS. And then for AOS players, it's how 40k doesn't give a crap about terrain and all of your stratagems, at least before 9th edition kind of toned them down, was front-loading the game to be like decided on the first two turns instead of like making it like more of an engaging five-round game effectively. Uh, at least that's, you know, the perception. I don't necessarily, true. it's true for any side, but yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> yeah. We always like to bag on that other side because we always think our game is better. Uh, I, there's merits to both. Uh, I just I just enjoy AOS a lot more. It, the scoring system fits more my play style, which is more about like positioning and less about killing things. Like you can win games of AOS about killing like anything. I don't think that's true in 40k. I, I've never run into that. I've never been able to get a 40k game, and I was like. Wow, I beat my opponent without actually killing anything. <laughs> so Okay. Yep. Are you a fan of the priority role then coming from 40k? Was it something that drew you in or you don't carry the way? I'm you know, at first, like every 40k player was like kind of, you know, I was like, what this is probably gonna be stupid uh as a mechanic. But then as experience as the time went on, I was like, it's just something else you have to manage. Like managing priority roles is is I learned to love it because it gave to me as the player agency and decision-making that wasn't, it taught me how to think about next turn. 40K was a lot more about thinking about this turn. I'm not saying like you didn't have to think about next turn, but like, honestly, since like so much of the game was basically projecting threats and just killing things and shooting or massive combat, very, everything was kind of like just one-sided. Things would just die in the game. You were just trade-offs. Uh, and then AOS, I've discovered that the double turn was a tool, not necessarily like, something you have to fear and once you made that piece of it it just became like something else you have to manage and honestly it makes for me it made the game a lot more strategically like challenging to, to play now don't get me wrong yep, that's fair there is a lot of flaws with double turn but it's yeah. not, <laughs> not the flaws of the 40k players think it is right so mm -hmm. we've all had that one game where the double turn sort of decided the whole game not via both people making good or bad decisions. It's just that's the way the game turned out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, for me, it was like one of the things I would have loved. Like I want to keep the double turn alive at AOS. I just would like to, it to stop after round three. Like round three is just like, there's no more double turn mechanic. It's whoever basically picked the sequence of C, uh, order at turn three was just like it would end. Because I have so many games where like you're clearly, you know, like it, the game is decided on that initiative role in turn four. And that's, it wasn't that way in the previous edition of AOS and 2.0. Uh, 
But with the introduction of battle tactics and grand strategy, it literally like exaggerated that like that sequencing of events because that two point difference in some games was like enough to just you know dictate the winner or loss based on that. Mm. especially i found sometimes the biggest one was that four to five priority role whoever won that yeah it came down to who won the game yep yeah i mean you i think from a games workshop perspective i think they want that right it's like the game is yes super close until the last potential yep. round and it's just for me it's, it's like i would like to have less of a single dice roll dictating like the end of a game especially if it's that close and more of a like okay like maybe on turn like a little bit more interesting uh i there's no, I don't think there's any like simple way of, you know, fixing what I need and keeping that alive. So I'm fine over the way it is. I mean, I just know that it could be better. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think every game system we play could be better in certain ways. And that's different for every person, different people, like different aspects of the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What about with the dice rolling and the heavy dice decisions? Are you a person that likes big gambling dice or are you pretty much like a person that enjoys twos and twos, re-rolling ones or exploding sixes? <laughs> What's your preference for dice rolling? I mean, I, I, I approach the game as like more dice means less, more variance. It doesn't mean it's less chance to win. It just means more variance. Uh, I like, actually like the ability to kill things isn't what I gravitate towards armies for. I gravitate towards armies where it's harder for my opponent to kill my things. And it's just about- Inch the fire slayers. <laughs> fire slayers, like corn, Slanesh. I mean, I'm, I'm also known as a guy who plays KO, but like KO is like very antithetic. It's an antithesis to that like concept other than the fact you you play keep away the entire game. Uh, but the point I was trying to make is that I, I don't gravitate towards gambling. I, I do recognize the advantage of gambling. Like there is players who play the game conservatively the entire like game right and then there are players who are like basically looking to hit the jackbox you know uh hit, yeah uh, like or a jackpot sorry not jackbox jackpot every every psych every turn uh and i try to like you know i try to play more of a considerative game where and then when i recognize like there is you know a good out by gambling i try to take it but it's you gotta you gotta find a balance you can't be one of the other you're not, you're not a 3d6 charger <laughs> Uh, well, unless I'm within three inches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've played those high risk reward armies being like the Kragnos with the stone horns and stuff like that. And you'll sit that like five or six inches away and then you watch three ones roll up and you've already used your reroll and you're like, oh. <laughs> I, the thing is that like you should you should know averages and how they work so you you can offset your your memory. Like a lot of players, I know a lot of players were like when they make consistent nine inch charges and then the first time they fail a nine inch charge, they're like, they're like devastated. Like this never yeah. happens. Like, and I, I, <laughs> like you have to understand like this, even over reroll, it's like what a 40% success rate or something around those yeah. lines. Those lines like that's, that's, you know, the toss of a coin, you're less, you're more likely than not to lose it. So if it, it, ha- it failed one time out of four, you're doing great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah. But we remember those losses yeah. in terms of dice rolls more than we do. Oh, you just hit ten like sixes in a row, but you got double ones somewhere. Well, I'm going to remember the double ones, not the ten sixes. Yeah, it's it's hard to keep that like that head above water of like you know not like spiraling because you had some you know very important role not go your way when you had non consensual consensual roles going like incredibly your way. <laughs> so. Uh, with the that your army choice you were saying you like sort of armies that are very consistent is there an aesthetic part to it as well 
I I do love dwarves. Like that's the disc- like you know when I <laughs> when I came into AOS, I didn't really have a fantasy theme. I liked because uh, you know I came from 40k and my my 40k theme was like I really like Mongolians riding motorcycles. Uh, and then uh, basically ninja pirate clown elves harlequins basically like i don't know what this murder clowns uh i guess to describe so when i got into os i started with iron jaws and i was just like this looks i really like the model aesthetic and then i played iron jaws when the first book of zinch came out and i regretted that decision very quickly uh (laughs) so then i swapped to other things and i landed on basically fire slayers and then after that i discovered that i really like dwarves like lore wise that like I'm never being a big fantasy guys outside of like Florida Rings. I was like I'm most my fantasy like trope and dwarves are not like their feature, but they're not really explained in Lord of the Rings unless you read like the earlier material. And Fire Slayers really got into got me into the dwarf the dwarven lore and everything, and I ended up really liking them overall. Okay, is Leagues of Voltan an interest for you then? I do own a Leagues of Voltan army. Uh, I bought it. I played three games with it. Uh, and I've been, you know, when the book came out, I was told like whole countries were banning the book. And I was like, <laughs> yep. it sounds like 40K. I mean, I'm not playing this competitively. Sure. Like what? Yep. And so I'm like, I just played all the games I played with. I played a Fire Slayer version of uh, Leagues of Botan. So a lot of Setonian Berserkers. And that was all. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so. Was that that really broken unit as well? That I heard a lot about was another unit. No, it was the uh, they had a like you know for AOS speak they had a legion's mechanic where uh, sixes to hit also translated into an unmodified sixes to wound or something or or okay. sorry no no that's not right it's if you had enough grudge markers or judge markers you any roll of a four was basically treated as an auto wound that is a value of a six <laughs> and then there was some guns that basically triggered on sixes uh wound rolls that like did some explosive damage so their complaint oh, okay. one their complaint was this basically a corporate me- mechanic of aos damage spills over yep these guns were spilling over on sixes too and they're like this is too much this is too strong <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. the joy of shooting. <laughs> yeah. So that was, I think that was the biggest complaint. And then points like the army was, you could wheel a lot of this for 2000 points. So I went the other way. I just went all berserkers, which is all melee and a shooting game. And it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Fair enough. It's not good. <laughs> you were sort of AOSifying 40k yeah. with the melee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, is that your main play style with like your KO and stuff? Or you do enjoy shooting in AOS? Shooting is its place. Like, there, there is a place for shooting. What I hate is, like, and this is the same predict- the problem I have with KO today, is shooting shouldn't be the core function of an army. No army should just be poorly functioning around shooting. Shooting should be a tools to an end. It shouldn't be the means to winning, basically. Uh, removing screens is important. Projecting threats to prevent, like, support pieces walking around willy-nilly. Like all these things are important factors to have in the army. I just don't think army should be designed around, you know, shooting basically. And I, I do, I'm going to get on my pulpit here for a second. I do love <laughs> that they printed uh, Edenites, which is a fantastic, you know, book from a perspective of role mechanics. But then all of the good war scrolls are all shooting, which plays in no way, shape or form plays with the entire Legion's mechanics of that book. So I, I guess they were trying to desensitize, uh, de incentivize, uh, incentivize shooting but they didn't do a good job at it because i think every slash list is like 
50 list five archers or something stupid. Uh, so, yeah. And it seems when there's a something that's quite strong, it has a very hard shooting aspect to it all. And then it always seems that KO is either at the very top of the meta because their shooting is broken or their shooting doesn't do enough and they float down towards the bottom again. Uh, for me, it's not that KO shooting is broken. I mean, it's very like the Thunder list we're seeing at the Worlds is, I'll be honest, like stupid. But it's <laughs> it's actually, you'd be, I'll be honest, like it only works in, uh, in a team setting. In a GT setting, that list will not do well. It would do three and two on average. Uh, it's just because Gitz is around. Uh, I mean, now we have OBR around, which basically just neuters KO shooting for the most part uh, in lots of ways. But they're just it's 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 an obscene amount of shooting. The problem with KO isn't that; it's the ability. Their battle tactics are just fundamentally too easy, uh, and they don't have to engage. Like they don't have to play the game. They just get to project power score some easy battle tactics, and then they're playing fundamentally a very different game than every other book is. I, I was really hoping this edition of KO, they would like tone down the shooting and make it more of a melee army that just has the ability to clear screens and be very surgical. And you can play that KO list. Like if you do the engine rigger build, you can 100% play, like play that type of KO. And that's the list I've been playing for it. The Thunder list is just not a fun list for anyone. It's not fun for you <laughs> as a player, and it's not fun for your opponent. Like, don't bother playing it. I understand why it's at Worlds, but, you know, it's not fun. The way I see KO as like an army aesthetic would be a bunch of dwarves rolling around in boats with big hammers smacking people everywhere, and then they all pile out and have a go at the other person rather than they're all sitting back in their boat yeah. shooting at everyone, and that's it. Yeah, they're they're supposed to be raiders. They're they're not supposed mm. to be uh you know you know Napoleonic warfare guys and like teleportation devices. They're supposed yeah. to be like Vikings. Vikings of the sky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they're Vikings. So give me Viking like rules. I think the problem is Thunderers just don't fit the aesthetic of that like design because they basically make them they made them Napoleonic infantry for the most part. I mean, they could change the rules. It's not like this. Like, they could make it so they shoot in combat instead of shooting in the shooting phase. Like, things like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Well, do you want to give a brief sort of explanation of how you got into the hobby then? Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, I, I think I transitioned. I explained how I transitioned from 40K to AOS, but I think you're asking how I got into Warhammer in general. Uh, yes, yeah. I moved to the United States when I was eight years old. And uh, as a way to basically make me okay with leaving my entire family, uh, my parents, like many other parents, bribed, bribed me with uh, <laughs> uh, basically uh, the original Warmer Fantasy box, the Seraphon, oh, I'm sorry, Lizardman versus Bretonians. <laughs> that old, really old box. Uh, and that's how I got into miniature wargaming. Uh, my grandfather paints a lot of like tanks, Napoleonic miniatures, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't play a game. He just painted them. That's how I got it. I really got into miniature hobby because of him. And then that's how I got into Warhammer was that box. I didn't really play until I got in my teenage years. And I went to a game store locally that had a lot of basically, you know, game nights every night for either Warhammer Fantasy or Warhammer 40K. Problem was in my game store, 40K was more prominent. I started Warhammer Fantasy Battles, but 40K was more prominent game so i ended up you know, transitioning to 40k because i wanted to play the game effectively and that's what set me up in the journey to 
be a Warhammer player. So let's see, I'm turning 38 this year. So it's been 30 years of playing or at least collecting Warhammer models. Wow. So a good legacy and a good experience of the tabletop game over the last 30 years. Or oh, yeah. 20, 20-ish years of playing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I heard you saying on Rob's stream that you sort of were talking about magic decks. Did you venture into magic then as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a period of my life where I, I I wanted to explore other like you know I this is this is the stupid Jeremy moment. I was like, <laughs> I can't afford Warhammer in this period of my life as much as I would like to. So I want to look for an alternative game that satisfied my competitive needs, and I st- I picked Magic. Man, was I stupid because that game is almost <laughs> just, if not more expensive. Uh, so I got into competitive magic for a bit. I, I went to one pro tour and then never after that I was done. Uh, not because I don't like the game. I actually really like magic. I just the, I was tired of like the, you know, people complain about the amount of plastic and like unpainted models like accumulates in your basement or whatever your room. Magic is ten times worse. Like if you're if you're not just buying straight decks and collecting like buying booster boxes and so forth, the amount of trash you can generate is insane. So I got out of that hobby. But yeah, I tried on Rob's stream. I was trying to describe the the, the play style of players uh, in yes. the Magic the Gathering definition because a I, w- I didn't want to give you know all the keys to the kingdom. Uh, I also wanted to make it so <laughs> it was a bit more challenging for folks to decipher what the hell I'm meaning. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it was just more fun that way, to be honest. Uh, mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, especially if you're doing the gambling booster route, hoping to get a rare, the amount of common cards you would have that also everyone else has. So there's no way you could ever sell them besides giving them away to oh, someone yeah. that wanted it. Like, I'm, I'm sure your basement would just be full of cards and boxes and wrappers and everything else. I'm uh, I'm still to this day finding more stuff that I have to give away. Like I've been giving away all my magic stuff over time. Um, and, you know, at the time, I think when I started into competitive magic, I had, I left some stuff in my parents' house when I was moving between locations. Uh, and they're moving back to France uh, this year. And they were like, hey, we found all these cards in our, in our <laughs> attic. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit. And they're not like they're not. Are they sealed? And <laughs> no, they're not like they're not worth anything to be honest. Like okay. I, I, they were like an uh, Innistrad, which is like maybe like ten years ago, like 10, 15 years ago. Um, like so, they're not worth any value. Like, but I did. You know, the thing I love about Magic is the uh, the artwork. I'm a big fan of Magic art. I have a you can't see on the side here, but there's a my wall is like nothing but Magic card art printed in like for okay. like. Yep. I'm really big fan of especially uh, all the angels they've printed over years, uh, over the years. I really like those. So, yeah. Did you ever get or try and acquire some of those extended artwork ones where they people paint over like the mm-hmm. edges and try and extend the whole card? Yep. Yep. I, I have, I, I have some, I have kept some cards which are fully painted by a local artist on top uh, as part of like just art collect. I have a, it's the same thing. I have a bunch of models in my, you know, <laughs> My friends call it the dungeon. It's my basement. But uh, <laughs> don't worry, I get the same thing in mind. <laughs> it's called the dungeon. Yeah, <laughs> uh, when they're really trying to be spicy, they call it the oubliette because uh, people lose there. Uh, but the point was that <laughs> sorry, it was the point was I have a bunch of models and also the the Wraith Knight conversion. It's just I don't actually. It's just a piece of art for me. It's I I had a local artist who or at the time local in California who painted it. Uh, Israel Sanchez. I think he's featured in the Warmer Community a couple of times. It's like my my favorite 
model I own. It's I have an entire Luminef army that's painted to an incredible high quality by another local artist. Sometimes I like to splurge on like it's a weird way of saying like I patron artists, but like artists for cars and miniatures, which I think the modern art world would probably not think that's is like much of a piece. Well, that, that's like your modern way of doing collectionists, I suppose, of being like holding modern art in a different aspect rather than buying someone's painting. Yeah. It's something that you enjoy already. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, I, there's so many artists I would love to like, just get like a collect, like not even like, I don't really care. Like my commission work has always been like, I don't even care what you do um, with the paint job. As long as you take as much creative ownership as you want on it. Cause I'm, I'm not buying a scheme from you. I'm buying your artwork. And that's the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair enough. Was there a reason why when you went from Magic, you went back to Warhammer? Yeah, it was cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it was. I also uh, finally, I got to a space in my life where I was more financially able to afford Warhammer again. Uh, and when I say afford, I don't mean like the miniatures. I mean like traveling for events. Playing in Magic events is relatively easy for me. I don't have to travel very far. There's hundreds of events in my local region. Uh, like multiple pro tours for, for for Warhammer I actually have to take planes to go to places and what I mean by competitive magic and war, I mean like playing in tournaments that's what I enjoy so I was at a point in my life where I couldn't afford all the traveling it required me to be competitive so I took a look at magic as an alternative but when I could afford it again I just said nah I'm good I prefer Warhammer <laughs> yeah, fair enough was tournaments a thing you always wanted to get into when you started playing back when you were like, obviously maybe in your teens or late teens? No, I actually, like, I mean, I played in events. I didn't, I never considered the competitive aspect when I was a teenager. It wasn't until I got out of college and I got into, I moved here in the Oregon, the Pacific Northwest and the United States where I got into more of the tournament scene. There was like, so one of the things about where I live is basically six months out of a year, it just rains. And so everybody spends all their time inside their house. So there's a lot of hot, like that's why Wizard of the Coast is so successful. Just because in this area, people just gravitate towards these type of games because you're stuck in your house for six months out of the year. Uh, and they have a really big community and they do a lot of events. Like for, like for example, my local game store, when it's like a regular 40K night, it was getting up to like 50 players. Like that's just a local like 40K game night. Wow. <laughs> so uh, so there was a lot of players here in a big community. So that's why I got into the whole tournament scene. I got to introduce that through that. And I just, you know, I mean, I was shit when I first started. Even in, in like, <laughs> playing War 40K, I was not very good. And over the years, I became better and better. Uh, the peak in 40K for me was that I got in third place for Nova. And then I got into oh, wow. eighth place in ITC for... 40k that year that was like the peak for 40k for me uh it's funny the first time they streamed nova uh, lvo I, I got on stream and my family in france got to watch the game and i got my <laughs> ass handed to me on stream it was like oh, no. <laughs> it was a series of catastrophic failures and it was just like sweet <laughs> <laughs> the one time you get on stream from a watch and you just flop <laughs> yeah it was pretty good that was pretty fantastic 
<laughs> That's so awesome to hear. Well, not awesome to hear that you'd lost, but awesome to hear as an experience that your family got to watch you play and you rank so highly. Because I know most people have aspirations to rank highly in the 40K community, but like you've managed to get up to that top end and top echelon. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, to be honest, like doing it in AOS, uh, there's not that same pressure. And then for in 40K, there is kind of that pressure to like succeed. Um, and in an AOS, I didn't, I never felt that same similar pressure to do well at. I just, the reason I travel with tournaments is because I enjoy necessarily playing competitive events. I just built all my relationships throughout my life since I was a teenager through Warhammer. Uh, and so a lot of my friends, so my friend circle, participate in these events. Uh, you know, like when we're talking about Noah, who's uh, a friend of mine, like, you know, I travel to the East Coast uh, to go play in events because I get to hang out of Noah, not because the event is happening. <laughs> so, yep. uh, I say it on every podcast I probably speak to people on. Everyone plays this game because the majority of people play the game because they enjoy the community, the friends and everything along the whole aspect. The gaming sort of seems tertiary to the main thing being yeah. catching up with your friends, hanging out, having a few beers, and then you get to play games also. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, you, you could tell like AOS Wolves the same, the amount of trash talking people, the teams are doing yeah. to each other on Twitter. <laughs> it's I, brilliant this year. <laughs> <laughs> None of it is like, it's, it's all fun. Like there's no, like there's no, nobody actually like, you know, everybody's just looking forward to seeing each other uh, and just having fun. Like the, the, the fact that it's a serious, like global comp- competition is only secondary to that first factor. Uh, maybe for some more, some teams more than others, but I can tell you from the United States team, it's definitely <laughs> yep. more that. <laughs> Especially since a lot of people managed to make it to last year. So then you've got the continuing friendships because Generally, the people that are interested or want to go to Worlds are top players that can also afford to go, so they generally get reselected to go again. So you build up those friendships over a few years. Right. Yep. It's true. I mean, it's weird to like. I so like my wife, who I met, you know, later later stages in my life, uh, asked me why if I'm gonna ever play this game until I'm 80, and I yep. and I said probably like. The reality is I've met so many diverse background folks and made friends with them. Like folks I would have never, if it was just I lived in my bubble or my day-to-day, I would never make friendships with these these folks. And just especially in the United States where nowadays like you know, politics you know, can create this cloud of, uh, you know, it's hard to like you know, make friends with certain you know, folks. And for me, it was like, I like context my one of my best friend who's actually coming to join us for Barbecue tonight is, He's a Republican uh, from uh, works for the you know, from the U.S. government. I'm very liberal. I live in Portland, Oregon, which is one of the most liberal places <laughs> in the United States. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it, we don't care about politics because what you know connects us is the hobby, uh, and then vice versa. I know, you know Noah, and then I also know like Alex Ewan, who's an incredibly like you know the dive background is insanely diverse. Uh, and it was weird that this plastic hobby is the reason why that drives all these like these people together, because uh, they wouldn't we would never have interacted if it wasn't for that. It's like when you like you're a tradie and you meet some lawyer or an architect or something like that, yeah. where it's the two worlds that couldn't be more opposite, but you have the, that common ground of playing Warhammer together and then chatting, and then you find out afterwards what different jobs people have or different political associations and all that sort of people have that you wouldn't expect yeah. that sort of playing this this niche hobby. 
I, I, I give it to uh, Reese and Frankie in the United States for driving a lot of like, you know, community building. Uh, Cause you know, when I was getting into competitive 40 K, my, my, my scope of competitiveness was like my local area was the greater Pacific Northwest. So basically Vancouver, BC, Canada, and then up down to like, you know, maybe potentially California. But then they, they opened up that scope of like, this is a global exercise. And, you know, I, I, tr- I attribute them that's, uh, uh, that paradigm because before them, I never thought about, like I knew ETC was a thing, but ETC is a separate thing. It was a, it was a standalone activity. And, you know, for the most part, it felt like very kind of like, you got to know the secret handshake to get into it. But they, what they did is they democratized the uh, you know, global competitive scene, at least from a United States standard. I know probably Europeans don't necessarily think of ITC as a, a global event, but from an American perspective, it definitely did open up to that like regional awareness of like there is more than just us in terms of the competitive scene. So it, it definitely, I don't know, I'm trying to look for a word for it. It's globalization, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing all the drama with England and America with their ITC rankings. So I remember all that discussion there being the two different communities having points counting towards each other. So I did hear some of that sort of side there, but it's nice to hear that people are able to come together with the FLG creating that, that global tournament system that builds other communities together. But I think it's maybe a little bit rarer in AOS. I know a lot of like gaming groups are encouraging people to travel internationally outside of the big tournaments. Um, But I think we're slowly getting there because we're a bit of a smaller scene than the 40 K side. Uh. I would say it's true for the states, to be honest. Like, one, well, I'll give you, I'll give you an example for 40k uh, globalization that like translate into us. Like in the United States, we uh, ITC created kind of like this like teal like org- like community of tournament organizers uh, to kind of not decide but like advise about rulings and and like how they run their tournaments. Like, so the biggest crime AOS has on like 40k is that technically there is no such thing as a tournament. AOS format just doesn't exist. Uh, so TOs have to, you know, develop it. They have to create their own. Uh, for them, I'm a big proponent of uh, Gareth Thomas, like or Tom as he goes by, uh, correct, you know, PAC, whatever he wants to, stupid acronyms because he's in goddamn <laughs> economics major. Uh, but a PhD, <laughs> sorry, Tom. Uh, but the point was that, like, yeah, like TO, it created this. They took that format from ITC 40K and then instituted it in AOS or uh, United States, where it's not trying to dictate what the right format is. But when people have questions, when people have need, like TOs for before then, like they were on their own, like they had to kind of like do their own research. They had no consulting power to inve- investigate. Like it was like I go on DACA.com and like you know maybe make a post about like how to run your event. But the point was that like it created that kind of more like close knit, close community, at least in the tournament organizing. So I see that as a net gain. Uh, I mean, it, I don't know what it's like in Europe to be honest. Like I, the only system I've played very close attention to outside of the English one it was the French one because the French have this very kind of French approach. We'll just put it that way of their AOS community, which is basically they they set up an academy 
which is like you graduate from ranking to ranking very much like chess um but it is kind of it's very different than the rest of the world which is you know in the united states is more like very american which is pull yourself on your own bootstrap just show up to events and win <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> uh, but from the my perspective it's just like it, the world wants like order like our communities always gravitate towards like trying to set up some sense of community and organization and finally the last vestige of goodwill is that like it made it a lot harder in this day and age for consistent cheaters to get away with cheating i will like that is something like at least i noticed in my tc 40k is that a lot of the you know you know you know you'd had the bad the you know the, the the myth of the whack player was toned down a lot because you couldn't get away with that stuff anymore. TOs were communicating about their bad apples. Like they were telling like, hey, if this guy shows up in your venue, like watch out for him and so forth and so forth. And to an extent, like we don't have to do that as much now because of streaming and how more public the events are in terms of online personality. But all of that is just, I, I, I see those are all the net gains out of the globalization that we're making this game mm. more competitive. Well, especially since like big names would pick up on it as well. Like you'd hear one person speaking about, oh, there's a drama here with dice or stuff like that. Well, then everyone else that's anywhere near that region of content will hear about it. And you know instantly that that person is a bit barred or shunned from right. going to tournaments now. So it sort of pushes them out and doesn't encourage other people to do it because they'll know they'll get pretty much caught straight away. If not in person, on camera. <laughs> Yeah. And recorded so people can play it back and see that, that you cheated with dice. I, I think also uh, what empowered this change is the TOs had like a support structure because one of the worst thing about it being a TO is that like if you have a cheater at your event, how do you confront him? How do you deal with him? So a lot of people who run this game, like they're not exactly extroverted and they're not also or run events for this game. They're not extra extroverted and they're not looking, they're not very confrontational. And one of the nice things is about like creating that community of TOs that enable them to have a support structure or at least like being shared, like how do you deal with these kind of problem individuals? Uh, so too much so to an extent, like I think now it's, I, I mean, I remember in the early days of 40K, I'd have players at the table wanting to like fight me, like literally go out to the parking <laughs> lot and fight me. I have never run into that in AOS, thank God. But I know for a fact that that is not a thing in 40K either uh at least from what i understand like but that type of player was like physically around when i was playing competitive 40k wow okay <laughs> so that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> i want to fight you over your dice and your toy soldiers <laughs> oh yeah the uh i should share this story just because it's funny uh i'm a big guy and i was even fatter when i was playing 40k uh competitively i had a uh, i was playing uh gray knights and there's they have like these like tall spears and when I reached over to pick up some of my models to remove them as casualty, one of the, my leader was like super instrumental in like basically my overall strategy of winning um, was sitting behind this completely line of sight blocking piece of terrain. And when I leaned over, his spear got latched onto my shirt because I have a very protruding uh, belly. And then, and then when I get, came back up and put the models aside, I didn't notice, but he fell off my shirt into like a wide open terrain, like completely in the open. Uh, and I was, and then he, so my opponent starts like, I'm going to shoot him now. Like, cause he's, you know, he's still his turn in shooting <laughs> phase. And I'm like, well, 
what? Like this guy wasn't here a second ago. Like, oh, he must have gotten bumped. Let me let me put him back. And he's like, and that's when he's like, if you put him back, I'll I'll fight you. Oh <laughs> <And I> <laughs> you no, know, he said like, if you put him back, we're, we're gonna have we're gonna have to settle this in the parking lot. I think it was like his like literal yeah. words. And I, <laughs> no way. Like, and I thought he was joking, and I reacted like, oh, you're crack. Like, okay, that's stupid. So I pick up my model, and then that's when he like kind of slammed his fist on the table, and like his face was red. And I was just like, okay, he's being serious. <laughs> wow, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's crazy. And, you know, and, and yeah, so it, it, I mean, the story has like way longer, like, port, but I'm not going to go into it. It's just, it's just like, yeah, that was a thing I had to deal with in competitive 40K. Never had to do that <laughs> with an AOS, like, at all. <laughs> it seems like much more of a rarity because, like you were saying earlier, it's not such a serious competitive game in terms of rankings and stuff like right. that, you said it seems a lot more casual and more calm. Yeah. I mean, you could, t- have you watched the LVO uh, award ceremony this year? Yes. I did hear all about it and saw brief snippets of it. <laughs> so like they, I mean, tough crowd is a, is a force of nature by itself, but they, they, they had, you know, no, I won LVO that year and it's a tough crowd. And a lot of their players also won ITC things. And they were just out there just like, basically having the time of their life and inviting everybody to have their time of their life. And you, I mean, I'm sure it was like the 40 K players were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> uh, but the camera yeah. kept panning over to like the 40 K side and they just looked miserable, but I think they just very, were just very confused about what was <laughs> it's, you know, that meme of the third place winner who's like basically like yes. pouring himself yeah, champagne yeah, yeah, yeah. and eating. like, that was exactly that moment. Right. Like, from- yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> but AOS competitive AOS United States is is fun. It's not like it's we're not we're not taking it as seriously as our counterpart, I guess, in a sense. It's always, it's always nice to hear the community can take it to that fun, casual aspect, as well as keeping it competitive. Like I mean the guy that won Noah run LVO was like, I didn't come here for five wins, I came here for five new friends. Yeah. But just happened to get the five wins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is an awesome mentality to have. Yeah. Uh, you'll you'll find out a lot of like uh I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll, I, I want to say Team America promotes that, and we do, but uh, it's just a general, like, it's just general feeling in, like, AOS in the United States is, like, you know, I mean, it's also not supposed to be AOS. That's how I feel the hobby should be, period. It doesn't have to be AOS-specific. It's just, like, I play this game because of the community and the friends I made along the way, not because I enjoy waffle stomping some people at the table or, like, you know, like, that. that's, that's not fun. You're here to have fun, not burst a blood vessel in your brain. That's right. <laughs> Early grave is not what I'm going for. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. drinking wise, but not from stress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy how stressed out some people get from like I know it's a competitive event and people are vying for things. I think if we were to throw money in there, like that would change the whole dynamic. And maybe that's part of the reason why it's not so stressed because there's not money involved. Well, especially in the Australian scene, we've adopted the system of if you're up the top three or you're the best in faction, you get a trophy. Yeah. Everyone else is vying for the prizes and they're yep. normally like, like the draw or like some special, oh, I killed yep. the most monsters. Yep. I'm not sure what your system is in America. Same though. identical one. Uh, okay. We basically, trophies are for the winners and then the actual prize pool is for, uh, it's completely raffled off. I, I actually have a policy I my basement is too full of models anyway. I own basically every <laughs> age of Sigmar army. Uh, lots of you're one of those guys. Yeah, lots of unpainted like plastic. Uh, the 
when I win any prize support at any event, I just give it to the youngest player at the event. Like that's that that's my like I because I was in those shoes when I was a kid, and and I you know obviously that's I think that should your prize support should never be about winning. It should be about you know having fun. And so like adding the idea of achievements to like prize pool is fantastic. We I introduced that in my local meta. It, it never made it outside of Portland. Uh, well, that's not true. Made it all the way to Idaho because the, one of the locals who played here moved to Idaho and then took it with him. But the idea of like basically introducing video game achievements to the game, to a tournament, and making it like towards its own special prize and own prize pool is is really interesting. Like who can miscast the most or lose the most wizards to a miscast? Like things like that, like which are about... Um, rewarding fun wacky things and not rewarding like the competitive winning like, strategy of the game yeah they've got their own achievements already in getting trophies or saying that you went five and oh yeah it was like um i think jp gannis with his list spot thing had those achievements listed in there as well of like you've played five different armies or you've played an army with three wizards or four wizards and that was sort of along those lines but not in like a local competitive level and i know people when you throw in things like this, you sort of push for them because you know they're there to be fun and something a bit different. And yeah. it's not to just win. Right. And like, I mean, we, we did more things around like bad thigh situations, like failing a two inch, uh, three inch charge with a reroll, like things like that. Like, you know, uh, which is incredibly statistically unlikely, but like when it does happen, you don't have to feel so, like it's the worst thing on the planet because like, Oh, Cool. Like I'm in the running for this now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's always nice. Yep. You change that feeling of a negative feeling to something positive in the end. It's more of a consolation prize. I'm sure they're still sad about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, I, I, I hope uh, this is not true, but I've been, been told this by multiple Europeans that the, uh, the English competitive scene is, People show up to play at an event to win. And then as soon as the day's over, like if it's like first day, second day, whatever, none of them hang out with each other. They're like, especially first day where you're like, still have to play the second day. They just go in like their own hotel room or whatever and just do their own thing. Oh, okay. And I, I was just yep. like, I hope that is not true. I'm like baffled by like, this must be a not true story. I don't know if you've heard that same thing, <laughs> that same storyline. Uh, like, I've Baffle. heard brief things about stuff like that, but not anything more like definitive to say, oh, we, we all went back to hotel rooms and no one done anything. They went back to look at the list they were up against the next day. Because we, we've, depending on the tournament, I think some tournaments will try and put events on the Saturday night right. and try and do trivia or just fun prize support gets done on the Saturday rather than the Sunday. Um, but I think. Yeah, sometimes you will hear of people that, oh, we just all went back to our hotel rooms. But a lot of times, especially in our gaming group, we always tried to go out to dinner and yeah. invite as many people as you could. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was saying in the state side. Like, it doesn't matter what the scale of the event. I mean, LVO is atrocious for this because we just end up having, like, parties of, like, 100 people. Like, <laughs> no one, like, it's like the game is part of, like, it's the, uh, what's it called? It's the appetizer to the late night evening of drinking and debauchery and that. Uh, that's the community thing again. Yeah, I was just, when I heard that, I was like, there's no way in hell. This is where the game started. Like, how do people not get that community aspect in that? So I hope I'm wrong in that. And I'm sure. I wonder if that leads back to from like fantasy and more that tone of player 
just carried over to Sigma because that was the next thing and that's how they've always done their tournaments and that just leads to more people doing that system. I hope not. It's it's it'll be just unfortunate. We're gonna have to, I think one year uh we're gonna have to take some Americans over to England and we'll just show them <laughs> Show them how to party. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just show them how it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. I think outside of Team Lit, because we've heard some of their experiences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they look great. Like they sound exactly what I would want. And the reason I'm like, I'm propping this up is like I'm probably planning a move back to Europe at some point. And I'm like, I'm gonna be very disappointed if I go back to if I go play at tournaments in England and everybody just like, all right, well, it's uh it's 5 p.m. I'm uh, I'm gonna go have my see you tomorrow. Uh, yeah, see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Fair enough. I um when I first heard of your name, it was actually on a podcast in your phase. Oh, Do you yeah. wanna sort of Speak about how you got involved with doing a podcast with you and Alex then? Uh, technically, it was me, Alex, Garrett, and John. But uh, okay. we... Oh, that's right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It was It was the concept is that we were looking to talk. We So me, Alex, John, and Garrett wanted to basically create our... We talk a lot on Discord about the game. And we're like, you know what would be funny uh, is if we just talk to people instead. <laughs> instead of our four. Uh, so we that's how it started and you know like i think like every stereotype of being one starting a podcast that's how you know morals of story is we decided to focus on trying to broach the topic of both 40k and aos competitively simultaneously uh into our channel uh but then we found ourselves like a year in like all of us mostly just played aos anymore most of us stopped playing 40k and so it just kind of it just felt like we weren't really living up to the standard of what we set the channel to do in the beginning. And we just stopped doing it. Also, like, I'll, I'll be honest, like, I'm doing my own YouTube now. When we were four people trying to do this podcast, it was really hard to do a podcast of four personalities. It's very, I, I praise any podcast that can do that many people on the show talking at the same time. And I think the, overall so much work between editing and so forth that it just kind of fell through the cracks and we just realized like that's fair the show had met its natural conclusion because none of us were excited to talk about 40k and we had this policy of doing one episode of 40k one episode in aos and every week was just an episode on aos and we realized the show wasn't gonna be what we imagined it to be so we uh we canceled it but that's fair enough Mm-hmm. The, the point was i did enjoy some of the stories though i remember i think it was garrett <laughs> talking about his cat and the rat yeah i mean <laughs> or his dog and the rat i mean the, all the especially john like john is a, if you ever get an opportunity to sit down with john at a bar restaurant whatever and just engage him about you know story it's literally like sit down son i got some story for you like he's just like he's, he's one of those yeah, personalities yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah his life is crazy interesting and and I did a pause between crazy and interesting uh, for those context uh, <laughs> clues. Uh, but yeah, no, he's, he's super fun to listen to. And I'm, he has a, he has a voice for radio and I wish he, he right now, unfortunately his job has really taken him away from the hobby. He is running BAO for, for that's a barrier open for AOS. So I'm glad to see him, you know, kind of taking some more time into the community, but yeah, he's been unfortunately too busy with work to really be part of this. Okay. And so did, did that sort of lead on to you a few years later getting involved with your YouTube channel then? Yeah. I, I've i always wanted to do uh, my YouTube channel. I'm trying to, the, the idea of VM is to make it 
about abstract dis, abstract strategy and tactics about the game of AOS. And that's what I wanted to do in, in your phase. But when it was, I don't have that same kind of like mental theory, like mental theory about the game as John, Garrett, and, and Alex. And the few times we try to get some episodes going into that discussion course, it became more of a, like us arguing about things. And I was just like, this is not fun for anybody listening to this. And I just want to, you know, I'm going to say a bunch of things and people can say it's wrong or disagree. And, that, and that's totally okay. I'm not necessarily the end all be all to like the strategy of the game. It's just my take on how to play the game better and think about it differently than like how I think most people look at it. But from the start of the YouTube channel, because literally I got tired of coaching 20 individual people at a time <laughs> and just said, how about I just share my knowledge out there for you guys to watch. And then, and if you have any questions, I'd be more than willing to take the time and like deep dive more into like what it means for your play style, what it means for your armies. It, it, it's, I'm trying to more democratize my coaching services in a sense. Uh, Cause I do do, I do that a lot. Uh, it, I moved though. I'm, I'm entering my retirement phase of the competitive game. I'm, entering, <laughs> <laughs> I'm turning into, Roy Kent, you know, like uh, Ted Lasso. I'm basically going into more of the coaching aspect of my day-to-day and less into the playing. In fact, like this could be potentially my last year playing for Team America. Uh, okay. I'll be in Europe every year. They'll have me, but I won't probably will be playing. for. Is this time. because you're going to Team France? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if they invite me, I'll have some very hard uh, contract <laughs> negotiation. I'm pretty sure I have to sign a non-compete when I leave. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's mostly because I, I being a commissioner, I, I really enjoy community building, uh, even though captains are a pain in the asses, but for good reasons. Uh, it's just the, I'm getting away from like, you know, I look at Gavin, who's won ITC two years running. I won ITC one time, and at one time I was like, that's enough for me. And then I see this guy, <laughs> was just like doing it twice. I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> it's a lot of work to win ITC once. It's a lot more work to win it twice. And also you got to be crazy to want to do that. Uh, so Gavin is a crazy person for anybody who was wondering. <laughs> Confirm crazy. Confirm <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Uh, but the, the reality is that like I just don't get it. I get a lot more enjoyment out of coaching than I do actually playing. In fact, like one of the things that I try not to do too much at the table, because I think some people find it condescending is coach my opponents in how to play their army or how to beat mine at the table. And some people kind of look at me sideways. Like I think he's, I think he's trying to mentally trick me, but the reality is <laughs> he's playing those mind games. <laughs> yeah. But the reality, I'm just like, if I'm going to enjoy this game, it has to be at the peak potential. Like you're making the best decisions you can make if you're just basically making decisions because you have no idea of like xyz mechanic or you're not thinking about xyz then it's not fun for me and it's not going to be fun for you when you're just like discover oh i made a mistake here but in reality it's just like i also really like the jubilation in their eyes to like realize that oh i could have been playing this this way this entire time um so i do enjoy like i take a lot of pride and enjoy the it seems like you've gone along the lines of Darren as well. Darren seems to have fallen into his renaissance period with all his coaching as well and yep. seems to get the same satisfaction of you've taught someone new and they've come to realization of a different way or a different thing they can do in their game. Yep. And that's where you draw your satisfaction from now. Yeah. One of, one of the, and I'll praise like 
Darren did a fantastic job with Onward AOS. Like, I really like what he's doing with it. And I will say, though, my favorite aspect is finding a new talent for Team America. I there is, okay. um, I'm not going to say his name, but he's in SoCal. Uh, look, very young guy, <laughs> incredibly, incredibly smart player. And I cannot wait for him to play for Team America in the future years once he can afford the flight to Europe. Uh, but it's like that, that is like, I enjoy finding the next like Bill Souza, if you want. Like, I don't know what the equivalent for AOS is, like, to be honest, like, where you have like Michael Jordan and like LeBron James. Like, yeah. I want to find the next one of those guys, like, you know, for the game, basically. You want to be Dr. Dre for Eminem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, there's a great movie about a soccer first, I think it was, was it basketball for basketball with, um, Oh my God, I'm not going to forget his name now. And doesn't matter anymore. I forgot his name. I have a space, but it cannot. It's a pain when that happens. Your brain physically hurts when you can't think of the person's name. I'll be over the barbecue in 20 minutes for like, oh, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, it's, yeah, I enjoy it that way. Speaking of like trying to get people enough funding. Is how do you feel Team America is going towards being able to get sponsorships and stuff like that? Do you think that's a thing that uh, you'll be able to get in the future, or is it a bit of a struggle at the moment with our niche hobby? So this year we started getting sponsorship because we were successfully able to register the team as a nonprofit. Uh, for, oh, nice! Because in the United States, to get sponsorships for as a ta- additional tax incentive for the being a nonprofit helps them basically be a tax write-off. Uh, so it, you know, it also means we're not getting physically, nobody's getting taxed for, uh, basically that income. Like if somebody, you know, we, so it, it was a major step in, uh, into achieving that ideally would like to be in the next five years to be 50% funded, meaning like all the plane tickets, hotel rooms and practices are 50% paid for. Uh, but the reality is that like, I think at this year we maybe got to five, 10% of most between the team. We got a lot of work, works, work to do, man. We, we, we need to do more merchandise partnering, like Baron of Dice. We did the Baron of Dice one and so forth. We, I would like to you know, offer maybe coaching seminars at events that I'm going to to help fund, to help raise some funds for the team. Because, you know, and you probably heard me say in Rob's stream that, like, it's not the best players we're going to world. It's the best players we can afford it. And I want to change that dynamic. I want it to be literally the best players. Uh, going to Worlds. Um, so uh, it's going to take a lot of work to get there. It's a big struggle for, I think, us, you guys, and, and Team Canada as well. It's just that massive distance to travel and the flights aren't cheap at all to get over to Europe. Yeah. So I know it's a big struggle because we, we all don't get those top players that want to play in it but just can't afford it or haven't got the time because we need the extra time for that day of flying plus the jet lag. Yep plus the day flying back, plus the recovery back. It's a big time and money investment. I mean, you guys probably have the same issues. Like for uh, one of the reasons why I think we treat Worlds as more like it's both competitive and fun is because for a lot of Americans who travel with us, it's the first time they've ever been outside the States. So going to a place like Prague last year, which was the first time that Emma had to get a physical passport to go to Prague. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, so we wanted to make sure they get to enjoy their time outside of the table while we're there and we want to maximize those opportunities 
because it is, you know, a significant ask for any individual to go pony up that money uh, and go to this event and, you know, not even giving them the opportunity to, you know, enjoy the nightlife, go see the sights, it would just, just be a crime in my eyes. Yes, definitely. You've spent all that money and all that time and a lot of people treat it as a holiday as well or take the holiday afterwards, but to not be able to see those sights just because you're trying to be at that competitive level, yeah, I could definitely see it be as a... Yeah, I mean, one of the things I would also like to see, and like Philippines has a team, like there is a team out of the Philippines. They're just, it's impossible for them to go to Europe on, you know, just the distinction is this is effectively a first world, like the first world hobby in a sense, like it's just, just literally what it is. It would be incredibly fantastic to find ways to lower the cost of the venue, lower the ticket costs, be it like if we just have to host it multiple years in the same location, to try to negotiate down price because one of the downsides of AOS Worlds, and you know, I'm saying this commissioner, I'm not trying to criticize the, it's just that since we do new locations every year because it's a bidding process, the costs are higher than if it would be if we just signed like a five-year contract somewhere. Uh, and then additionally, there is the, the you know, unfortunate reality is that like most, 99% of the time, it's going to be in Europe. It's never going to be in somewhere in North America. It's never going to be somewhere in, let's say, like Asia, because the, it's, it's, it's a, a voting process and most of the voting body is from Europe. It's always going to end up in Europe. It's not a criticism for us per se. Like we don't mind flying to europe especially i don't mind i'm, I'm half french you know i'm french so like, <laughs> i don't care but the reality is that like for i would love to see like team philippines being able to attend i would love to see team new zealand be able to attend i know you new zealand as a team and just you know same issue uh it all that thing i mean the best solution would be if the event and this is something the council is trying to work on is to make maybe aos worlds like you know a pen ultimate event and then have like regional event team events that basically decide who gets to participate from which country to that penultimate event. And well, we can we're at that beginning stage of an esport essentially, right? With getting this big group of players from all over the world to play together. Whereas I know they were at that point some at some point in the past, but now they're able to literally travel the globe as a tournament because all the money expenditure comes from the actual event where people pay to go see it, right? They pay for the merch. The teams are all massively sponsored. They've all got gaming houses. Like yep. I know 40K is slowly getting up there with their gaming houses and stuff like that. Yep. Um, but it's definitely something that we could get in the next 10, 15 years if people like yourself are pushing towards being funded and doing venues and stuff like that. Because once they realize how much Warhammer players drink, I'm sure they'd lower their costs <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it's also like getting – Introducing the rest of the world to team events. I maybe that's not that's not a necessarily something you guys are new to in Australia, but I can tell you in the United States, this is like a fairly new phenomenon. Uh, the idea of like bringing a team, doing the pairing strategy, attacker defender, all that stuff is a relatively new concept, and it's making it it's making headwind uh, in the states. And we're hoping that like by process, it would introduce like we'll be getting to a point where. America can make a bid for its AOS Worlds. It's cheap enough to even get Europeans to come to. But worst case scenario, it's creating a fan base for potentially that esports future uh, or whatever you want. Like a 
t-sport future as rob would describe yeah. it uh, but in terms of like just literally streaming like we're blessed to have rob come and basically well, yeah, definitely. stream eight tables but i you know as commissioner i've been trying to get other nations uh, to maybe not even necessarily bring their own streaming equipment because rob is perfectly uh fine maybe like sharing the streaming uh view but like having like other channels do in their own language basically commentary about the stream like i'm thinking more like formula one approach to you know where uh, uh basically running the streaming service it would be nice because was it sorry before was it italy that came last year or was it france it was france france that, um Okay. France has a fairly huge, like, I mean, they have a big support structure. Like, their team is like almost partly funded by, um, basically, the the fans, supporters. Like, they their academy of France, like, they there's like a kind of like a fee service. You can, you know, you help pay for the team, and they also show up to the event with like a whole support structure. Um, so like <laughs> yep. that's a whole different situation. But yes, they also had their own streaming, like uh, French War Game TV. I think is what it's called. On Twitch, but it would be nice for me. I was just like, "How about why don't we have a German like streaming service? Why don't we have a Spanish streaming service? Like a Spanish one would go like bloody miles." Because I know there is a lot of Spanish-speaking uh, players out there who can't go to this and would love to, you know, be able to. I'm sure they'll be able to watch it in English, but it makes it way more accessible to the community if it was in their own native language. And that F1 formula you were speaking of would be perfect for wargaming because you can just cycle between whatever cameras you want to look at because they're all there, the feed's there. Just get your commentators over the top. Because it would have been amazing to have France commentating over Rob stuff. Like I know there was issues there in general, but being able to get multiple languages yeah. on top of all the tables would just make it explode, I'm sure. Because from what I've heard, the Spanish community is massive in general. Like they have a few hundred player tournaments all the time. Yeah other systems like it's a huge scene over there to get that language barrier because i think that's maybe a big thing is there's a massive language barrier between i know the english rules are slightly different to different <laughs> language rules which doesn't help the situation but if they're able to speak in the native language it at least pulls in different players to encourage them to come to a world setting yeah, there's definitely, I mean, like, I feel like there are Europeans that, you know, we complain about the challenges of traveling, but I'm sure the Europeans have to find players also who can talk, speak in English. Uh, I, I think my favorite game in, uh, was last year, and oh, it was in Milan. Bill had to play, I think it was a Spanish player who barely spoke any English. So his way of interacting with Bill was like, like an emotional state. Like he would just laugh or like, ah like you know like um, <laughs> and basketball like it's just like literally like like it's just little like emotions and so forth and it, obviously he couldn't understand bill but he couldn't necessarily speak english properly and so it's like they have a different problem like maybe their issue is that like they it's not like about affordability it's just about like finding pl the best players that can speak english or understand english yeah so that's fair <laughs> yeah. which is always a struggle because they're going to play the game in their native language and have to try and learn the different rule set for English as well, oh, man. which that makes it harder because it's not a computer game where there's mechanical limitations. It's all abstract however you wanted to play the game. Exactly. I can't wait to have to play a tournament in France and French people ask me, so what is this inch? Explain to me inches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I can't, mate. Like, I just can't. <laughs> like, yeah. just, just, you just have to live with it. 
Just, just, yeah. <laughs> just like there's so many stupid rules in French. Like you just have to live with it. It's just yep. the way it is. Why, why is the base 25 millimeters but the movement is one inch? Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Some cruel joke. I'm sure it is. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Was there any limitations um, with rules between the FAC from Worlds and how Americans play? Because when I was speaking to Sam, the Australian team has plays rules slightly differently yeah. here than they do for the fact. Was there any differences for America? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think the you guys' Australian understanding of rules is actually very similar to the American one. Uh, I think the big one this year was the zombie and vampire lord command ability. There was other ones as well uh, that were kind of on the fence. I, the, the way I would say the Americans tend to lean towards is more of a rules is written unless the rules is completely fucking stupid but then it gravitates to, <laughs> to rules as like they unleash hell where you unleash it whenever you want to rather than the, the charging unit <laughs> yeah or i mean or just like you know you can't unleash hell because there's a unit inside a ko boat like that uh so like things like that like i mean it's just like it's like guys like they're only human they're not perfect their games workshop is trying its best it's done a lot better over the years but Rules is written as a terrible, like as a terrible benchmark. It, but it, unfortunately, it is the base. You have to start with rules. It's written, and then you work right there. And yeah, it's. I was just gonna say, like, I know the Danes, especially the Scandinavians countries. I've noticed that have somewhat different reading. I wouldn't say understanding. They just have a different reading to how, se- especially sequencing. I think sequencing and how things work is the most problematic misunderstanding across nations. It's not necessarily the straight up rule. It's just sequencing. Which is massive because that changes the way you play your core game. Exactly. When there's literally a one letter difference between an and and an any, and that changes the whole way a rule works. I mean, that, that's <laughs> purely an English problem. I'm pretty sure when they translate yeah. it, they just pick one. Yeah. Was there any other challenges that Team America has faced and maybe not outside of the travel, but with tournaments or uh, rules or players and stuff like that trying to sort out for Worlds this year? Uh, let's see. No, honestly, like when we, last year we had a, we had unfortunately, you know, Gavin who's playing this year dropped out last year and that caused some issues. We also had Anthony Trenley drop out last year. Our biggest problem for Team America is just like doing all, you know, it's getting the prep work done and then showing up. And like it, if, you know, with the whole roster is a big, huge problem. Uh, and, and this year, thankfully, no one's really actually dropped. Uh, so it's knock on wood because we're still not yes, there yet. Two weeks, <laughs> yeah. and I—that's the only legitimate problem we have with the team is because you know if somebody drops halfway through the process of prepping, then it means that we just lost all of that prep effectively. Uh, and we, you know, we take we take making sure we cross our eye or cross our T's, dot our eyes. <laughs> that's called a T. <laughs> Very seriously, because like we travel a long way, and the last thing we want to do is basically, uh, you know, fuck it up. And then if we fuck it up, we just fall to the team administration. Like we, it's always been that way. And like last year for me, it was like you know, I, to take something on the chin as captain, took it on the chin, and we moved on. And we just, but you know, I think the big reason why is that is because we take the event as not necessarily secondary, but it is like the part is the fun, not the competitive event. So. If we fucked it up, we fucked it up. We move on and then we, we suck it up for next year. Yeah. You've got to, when you spend too much money, if something goes wrong, 
you've got to at least make the most of the money you spent. Exactly. Have you uh, found you had a, a big improvement with your two practice sessions in terms of like team camaraderie and like list design and stuff like that, that two practice sessions really helped? Um, well, team camaraderie has never been an issue because we, we have, a, we're an all year long team. Like we have our discord is basically hundreds of different United States players and we're an all year long team. So Picking the roster is like a secondary nature to the team. But in terms of list and the big change this year, I think I probably mentioning this, we, we changed to two in-person practices. And yes, it's those are massive for us because it lets us, like the problem with TTS is that TTS is a terrible fucking tool uh, to practice. <laughs> up. Uh, not because it's, it's, it's very convenient, don't get me wrong, but it's, I don't know, there's something about TTS where the things that are, you know, within the realm of possibility don't seem to happen consistently in TTS. And so we get very bad, like, basically feedback from practicing on TTS. So the in-person practice lets us also play the games a lot faster. So we don't necessarily play full games. We'll play, like, three turns of this matchup, and we're like, cool. We see how this is playing out. Let's re-wrap and try again something new. TTS, it's a, while it's digital, it's actually fundamentally harder to play fast games just it's just the way it is like is moving digital models seems to be slower than actually moving real models in a sense so yep it's just the deployments maybe quicker and rolling dice. setting up the board and stuff like that yeah but the actual minutiae where the skill really in like is involved you lose all that because it's a computer game and you're using a mouse and keyboard yeah i think when i was i can't remember who i was speaking to now it might have even sam it should just be a top-down and you're moving disks around because essentially that's all it needs to be. And that's an easy enough learning tool because that way you can measure out your deployment of buff ranges and see what really works. Yep. But when you're trying to use a 3D space for essentially when you only need 2D models, that could really help out as well. Yeah. Plus like, the, I mean, the rest of the world is leaps and bounds when it comes to that. But the United States systems have a problem with broadband internet. So depending on who you're playing, <laughs> yep. you're just like, oh my God, this person's never going to get to play this game. So it's the same for us. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> it's because I think it's the large country issue. Yeah. It's holy crap. Why is your ping 999? You live literally yes. like we're like three states away. Come on. Like, <laughs> oh. I suppose, but being a large country, it's vital to be able to at least express what you're talking about on the board on the, in, in a computer game, because it'd just be impossible otherwise. Yeah. Is there anything you want to leave any of the listeners with before we end the podcast here? Anything you, any inspiring monologues you want to start <laughs> end it off with? Oh, Jesus, monologues! I'm known for those. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be allowed. Uh, if you ever heard of Philly bus, the Philly Busters? I'm pretty good at that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm going to a deep monologue. I, you know, for all your listeners, I hope you'll watch AOS Worlds, participate in the Twitch channel, give Rob some love. Uh, and then, you know, strive to participate in whatever your local team is. doesn't matter if you make it on the roster or not, just, you know, give them help. Like, you know, for Team America, we, we really appreciate the people who give us practice games when we need it or help us set up tables and terrain and the locations we play team practice in. And so I, would I can't imagine it would be any different for any other location. And then I think my last call would be because, you know, uh, Alex reminds me all the time that I never do this enough. Uh, <laughs> call out to my team Corsairs that are not Team America but local team in North America uh, that did it Alex congratulations I talked about I talked about our team 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just taken a few years. I, I actually do, in terms of monologue, and I hope Sam is listening to this, and that's Sam Morgan, uh, is that we get a rematch because we played last year, uh, and that game was awful by both standards of not only was it a stupidly one-sided game, but also I hate playing Seraphon, so I would like to have a <laughs> and Sam versus me rematch where I'm playing an actual army I like, and he probably won't be decided by stupid dice rolls. So yep. <laughs> I would love for that to happen. <laughs> Well, we've got one question here from Tom, your best mate, Tom. Uh, how much wrath could a Grim Wrath Berserker Grim if a Grim Wrath Berserker could Grim Wrath Grim whatever he's? Um, I'm going to try to do my best Go Trek impressions. I don't want time for you, you wee wagger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like honestly, that answer is I love Tom, but uh, fuck you, Tom. <laughs> 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 that's so good well thank, thanks so much for making the time to come on Jeremy it's been great to speak to you thank you Sam well enjoy your barbecue what are you throwing on the barbecue uh, salmon patties oh nice very nice I'm looking forward to it is, is it a barbecue or is it a grill for you I mean I have both I have a plancha which is basically a griddle and then a grill itself so okay yeah. no worries well enjoy your salmon patties then thank you very and much enjoy the rest of your night I will do. And best oh, best, best of luck for Worlds as well, and best of luck with your rematch with Sam. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Catch you later. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for listening to Unidentified Wargamer. You can find links for the guests located in the description below. You can find the show on Twitter at U underscore Wargamer, and I will see you next week.